Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm very pleased to introduce my next guest. Uh, He is George Smart, and George is joining us from Strategic Development, Inc. in Durham, North Carolina. And we're going to talk about a subject that's very near and dear to our hearts here at Exit Coach Radio, and that is uh, unraveling family knots. You know, we talk about we talk about family businesses a lot, and the real goal of family business planning is to have happy Thanksgivings forever. George is going to help us to talk about that and preparing future roles in family businesses. So, George, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. George, uh, how's everything going today? You doing well? Yes, I'm, I'm really glad to be on the show. I think this is an area that a lot of people are experiencing now. The baby boomer demographic is getting to that age where they're thinking about the next stage of their lives. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's it's a big, big push. The statistics are over 77 million baby boomers, but there's over 12 million business owners between baby boomers and traditionalists about, you know, older than them. And yeah, they're all getting to that point huh, where they're starting to say, uh, okay, uh, maybe it's time to pass the baton a little or, or at least start to think about that. So tell us a little bit about uh, you and your background and, and uh, what you do at MG Partner. So at Strategic Development, I work as a strategic planning expert with family-owned businesses and other companies, helping them get from one phase of their growth to another. And a very common thing that comes up is a successful family business probably has been around 20 to 30 years and is trying to figure out where the next 20 to 30 years are going to come from. It starts at that Thanksgiving dinner table, uh, and people use that model as a way of trying to guide their strategy for the transition conversation, and it does not work well at all. Why does it not work? Well, the thing with most families, and especially in the South, where I'm from, is that nobody wants to make anybody else uncomfortable, and everybody wants to be treated fairly and to treat other people fairly. So if you make those two ground rules the basis for any adult discussion, you've pretty much limited any reasonable course of action that could take place. Um, You have to be willing to be uncomfortable to have the discussions about possible futures. Otherwise, you're going to default to what is the least resistant path, and that usually means a bad thing for the business. It usually means putting the business in the hands of somebody who is not the right person. Now, this is complicated by the fact that in most family businesses, because they start out small, one or two people, and can be very large by the time they're through, um, often in the range of between about 100 and and 200 people. Uh, Folks want to have others like them. They don't want to rock the boat. Uh, If there's family members involved, they want to overlook certain deficiencies they may have as managers because they're my son or my daughter or my nephew. And the biggest mistake that people make is they try to adjust the roles to fit the people that they have rather than what professionals do in corporations is adjust the people to fit the roles they have. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You, you've got problematic situations where you have other relationships that, that extend beyond the business. And in a lot of cases, it affects more than the people that are working in the business. There's also issues with people or children working outside of the business as well. And, and they may have jealousy or they may have, they may wonder how they're going to make out in this kind of a situation. So you have your hands full with a lot of different issues, huh? You do. And that's why most families find it initially uncomfortable, but later incredibly beneficial to bring in a third party who doesn't have the history with the family and doesn't have some of the baggage, to be honest, that the family has about having certain conversations. It's very tough for families to have certain conversations. We all know this from our Thanksgiving dinners. In family businesses, we don't want to talk about uh, the fact that one person says they want to work in the company forever but doesn't act like it. We don't want to call them out on that. We don't want to break away from this fairness doctrine. For example, in some companies, you might have three siblings working together, all getting the same pay because nobody wants to be unfair to them. And yet the jobs they're doing are markedly different and carry greatly differing responsibilities. So their pay is not matching their responsibilities. We would never do that with a regular employee, but it happens with companies all the time. Absolutely right. Yes. So overall, you'd think that it would be really easy to pass a business to a son or a daughter. There's no interview. You know, it's 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 a simple transaction. But again, as you're pointing out, it's not that easy. And I think you've given us some good reasons. What are some of the first steps to make this easier and clear away some of the strong emotions that people have about their children and, and vice versa? Well, one thing is for the parents to understand that to make a decision really requires that some people get treated better than others. But that's okay if what they're getting is appropriately level to what's going on. For instance, if you're going to reduce somebody's salary in a company because they're not really responsible for much, that's okay because their responsibilities match their pay. However, you'd be amazed how many companies can't even consider this because that's my daughter, Helen, and I don't want to treat Helen any differently than I do Brian who may be running the whole Western division of the company or vice versa. I mean, the point is that you have to start looking at this not in terms of fair or unfair, but in terms of appropriate to the future or not. You would never put an employee in place that didn't have the criteria and the experience and the background to be able to fully do the job, and that's what a lot of companies do with family. One of the things that can be done to prepare family for that is to fire the family member, which can be one of the best things you can do for them. This doesn't have to be a permanent firing. It can be a firing like for two years. I have helped uh, clients do this, and it's always very tough in the beginning. But the idea is, let's say that you have a son that is doing okay in your company, but they're certainly not capable of taking it over, and you want to exit the company in five years. Well, you can do a couple different things. A, you can do nothing and just make hope your business plan, which I don't advise. B, you can try to uh, give that person some training. You can send them to a few classes. You can maybe send them to a course at a university, and maybe, maybe not, they'll learn something, and then you'll sort of see how it goes. A better alternative is to find someone in your industry. So let's say that you're a custom shoe distributor in Michigan. You find one of your buddies or industry pals in California who is running their company that doesn't really compete with you and see if you can place your son in their company. It's like giving them an internship. 
and they go to a different company where they're not the family and they don't get the same access and privilege and they either prove themselves or they don't. So at the end of their time at that other company, that person, that, that child, either realizes that they don't have what it takes to fully run a company or that they do and now they are seasoned and prepared to come back and take over the reins. I like that. So you're, you're basically hopefully finding something within your industry so they're learning something about your industry, but they're also learning discipline and they're learning what it takes from without favoritism to be part of a growing yes. and, and man well they'll probably in that two years they, they may not work themselves up to management of course but uh, at least you'll have a good uh, a clear picture a clearer picture of of how valuable uh, they are and, and they'll have a better understanding of of what they have to do uh, without favoritism yeah. and what parents often forget is that while there certainly is greed among children most of the emotions that children feel feel are, is obligation. They don't want to disappoint their parents. They don't want to be the one that says, no, dad, no, mom, I'm not going to be part of this business. I want to be an architect. I want to be an engineer. I want to be making movies or doing art. I don't want to work in the business that I've grown up in just because it, it's not my thing. Children don't really want to say that or find it uncomfortable to say that. So as part of the facilitated process of getting families to communicate with each other, um, it's related to general family counseling and giving people some ways they can express themselves in a safe manner. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people have dealt with that, George, over the years, um, as, as I'm sure you have many times, the fair versus equal treatment. They feel like they want to, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than going into a situation and finding out that there's three children, two of them don't work in the business, one of them does, and dad has willed the business to all three children equally because they figure they're all my children, I love them all the same, but that's not right. the best, that's just not fair for anybody, is there's conflicts all around. Well, it, it's not fair unless the three children are really equally participating and equally invested in the company. Um, there need to be some predetermined exit strategies for the children. So, for instance, there there's needs to be options for non-managerial children, non-employee children, to be bought out at the option of the ones that are still in the company. And this is easy to arrange if the parents are still alive. It usually becomes a lawsuit if the parents have passed away. Good point. Good point. Now, George, let me ask you a question because I see a lot of situations out there where the owner's children aren't quite old enough to – the jury's still out, but they still want to have a plan in place. If, for instance, dad passes away, they don't want to um, close the door on the child ever running the business, but they really need that key employee to continue running it. Um, what are some ideas or tips you can give people with situations like that where the, the jury's still out as to whether the, the child will be a potential owner of the business if anything happens or down the road, but yet they have that key employee who needs to be locked in? Well, I try to get the, the parents, the owners, to think of a non-family employee they've had that they've really loved. And they think about it a minute, and they usually come up with somebody. Let's call her Julie. So Julie comes to the company when she's 24 years old, and everybody loves Julie, and she does a great job, and she's very dedicated, and she advances a little bit in the company, and Julie gets married and has a family, and everybody loves Julie's husband and her kids. I mean, you've seen this thing before, Bill. Yeah, sure. And eventually, everybody loves Julie, but they recognize she doesn't quite have what it takes to really become, say, a vice president. 
So I'll ask the parents, okay, what's the difference between a situation where we're talking about Julie and a situation where we're talking about your real daughter? Mm-hmm. And then they start to, start to get into it. And they start to talk about why they would give their daughter special treatment. When really, the things they would do for Julie is what they should do for the daughter. So, for instance, there needs to be a succession plan in place to where if something does happen to the owners, it's identified in advance who would take over and for how long and what sort of succession plan would be followed. Most small companies don't have this. It's just assumed that Ben, who has been there for 10 years and is the chief financial officer, is going to run things if something goes wrong. But that's usually never written down and certainly never discussed because people don't want to talk about their own death and they don't want to talk about somebody else passing away. It seems very morbid. But it's one of those necessary, uncomfortable discussions that has to take place. Again, why it's usually better to have a third party there. Mm -hmm. Good point. And then the next piece of it is, okay, well, what do we do with Julie or a daughter in terms of advancing them up when they're not ready? Well, you would look at the same things that you would do with an employee when they were not ready. You would look at, is this a person that needs skills? Is this a person that needs education? Is this a person that really needs to leave the company for a certain amount of time and work somewhere else, like we mentioned earlier? That can be an opportunity for that employee just as well as someone in the family. And in fact, certain industries kind of thrive on that informally. They are such that certain types of companies will kind of steal from each other. And so it's become standard practice that, you know, once somebody reaches the VP level, they're probably going to get poached for a couple of years. They go away. They learn a lot, and then maybe they get recruited back to become president of the company later. On a smaller scale, that can be done for most anybody in the company. If it's an important enough position, it's something that should be considered. Really good points, and and I think it also boils down to, you know, making sure that there are options available because the situation might be such that if the business has to be sold to the key employee, Because the wife doesn't, for instance, a husband died, the wife doesn't want to be at risk anymore in this business. The key employee wants to buy it, but the say the son is too young to really get in and manage it. You have to think about what's best for the wife at this point, what's best for her situation. You don't want to offer the employee 20% ownership and then they walk. You don't want an employee to walk away at that point. There's very delicate issues and there's a lot of ways to go and it's important to give the spouse at that point, options as much as possible. So what are some of the components that you always look for in a succession plan? So the first thing to look at is what are the roles that we're going to need this year, next year, the year after, the year after? And by roles, I mean what are the positions in the company that we can see we have to fulfill? We're not saying at this point who fills them. We're just saying what the roles are. Mm -hmm. That by itself is like throws organizations light years ahead because they don't often talk about it that way. They talk about Julie and what are we going to do with Julie and what are we going to do with our son? They try to fit the people to the roles instead of the roles to the, to the, to the people. And, and one of the things that really becomes important is laying out these roles over time and saying, okay, we're growing in this market. We're going to need to add two salespeople there in about two years. And we're decreasing over here and we can see that role going away. And then once that's all laid out, you can see what the baseline trajectory is for the company given everything else is equal, which, of course, it always isn't. But that's a starting point. That is and the incredibly, next thing is to do some yeah, scenario planning. 
-hmm. okay. uh, some scenario planning, which is to say, okay, given our baseline of roles over time, let's throw some events at it. Let's throw the owner's retirement here in year three. Let's throw the owner's death in year one. Let's throw the child changing their mind about being in the company in year four. How does this affect our timeline? And what begins to emerge is how you need to shore up the timeline in order to accommodate the most different scenarios for the future. So it becomes obvious that if a son or daughter does not have the skills they need, the company is not going to benefit under any scenario that's going to be going forth in the future. So it helps pave the way for that uncomfortable conversation that says, hey, you know, we need to have you either get out of the company and work somewhere else for a while or go back and get your MBA or figure out something else to do, which, of course, you wouldn't say it that way, but that's the gist of the conversation that needs to occur. And the best circumstance is where you can get the child to see it themselves, to see the writing on the wall, and then know that the best outcome for everybody is for them to pursue the necessary gap in their abilities. I think that's brilliant, Georgia. You, you've taken the, the names out of the planning up front. You've taken the personality conflicts, the family relationships out of it, and just said what's best for the business, and then and then reinsert those individuals back in and say, now what yeah. happens if if your situation changes? I think that's brilliant. That's exactly what business owners uh, should be, how they should approach this. How do our listeners get in touch with you to learn more about how you approach this, and where do they find you, George? I'm based in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina. The website is www.strategicdevelopment.com, and they can reach me personally at 919-740-8407 or gsmart at strategicdevelopment.com. And what will they find at your website? Uh, they will find information on the two primary services we offer, for small business, family business, like we're discussing here, I work as a business coach coming in and working with the owners, the management, the management team. And then we also, for large corporations like uh, Microsoft, Department of Transportation, things like that, we do leadership development simulations for leadership development programs inside companies. Well, you've given us some very, very insightful information, George, but unfortunately we only scratched the surface today, so I hope that we can talk again in the near future and go deeper on this topic because there's a lot more I'm sure that we can do to help our listeners get prepared for this. I hope they'll get in touch with you, and I look forward to the next time we speak. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate it. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so please stay tuned. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. 
ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 